come pour your tea with the black sea pie. <laughs> it's cool, man. Got red bottoms on. His life is good. <laughs> What's good? It's Adam Chris. I'm here to say whatever because I gives a damn. What's up, y'all? I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Um, thank. I don't know why y'all keep coming back, but thank y'all for coming. Um, happy MLK weekend. The week after. I was gonna put out some content last week, but MLK weekend for the homosexual black men of Atlanta is like another pride for us. And I enjoyed myself the um, entire weekend. Um, So Friday, I linked up with some cast members of the show that I'm on and did one of my friends green screens and then we went over to the um after hour spot enjoyed that but i did get kicked out so y'all story time so i see my ex in the club um at the after hour spot and i was like i tapped him because like it was i just i recently blocked him like two weeks ago we was trying to like be mutual and still be friends and whatever but it didn't work it didn't work so i did recently block him uh and i guess it was just like a ball of emotions that came over me when i actually saw him uh we haven't spoken for like we at that time uh, on friday last friday we haven't spoken at that time for like three weeks i think two to three weeks and i guess i was just angry uh saw him i tapped him and i was like you know what's up and it was in a very hostile way (laughs) uh he asked me to to like come to the he knew that i was like on some other shit i was drunk as fuck mind you so he asked me to come to this certain area to talk to him i was like oh okay and i followed him to the area and just off my off instinct like i hit him like two times two to three times i got kicked out of the club (laughs) <laughs> but I was able to get back in uh, After that I was After the club I was kind of in my feelings I even started crying Cause I was like damn I just hit him And I, he was like you know um, Cause after the club he did call me He was like you know I would never fucking put my hands on you And I hate when you do that shit And I was just like I felt bad because it was just like My emotions like It was just like so much bottled up just like fucking came back and i was just kind of like over it but i did apologize but i have not talked to him since so i guess <laughs> i guess we really not cool anymore i did call his phone and he didn't answer um one time this week but that's neither here nor there oh well i did um react off emotion and i just feel like i shouldn't have but i did so whatever can't change it um <laughs> saturday saturday was a lot of things we got an airbnb me and my best friend got an airbnb mind y'all it was supposed to be me and my best friend only in this airbnb and he decided to invite one of his friends that i did not know um apparently they had he his friend had got into it with his boyfriend or something and that was the reason he was with us i didn't believe that story i just thought my friend had something set up like already so um 
it was fun um the friend was kind of a lot to deal with he was a little bit over the top he complained a lot and literally didn't pay a quarter on the um, room that we had so i was really irritated and over it so sunday um so but saturday we did i had like a little kickback i invited some friends over some friends from work uh some some of my cast members um castmates of the show um and we we drunk until about one o'clock in the morning mind y'all we were supposed to go to a club <laughs> that night but we ended up not making it to the club because the club was about to close when we got there because uh, we didn't get ready to like two in the morning so we just decided to go to the after hours so we look at the after hours and we looked at how packed it was we knew we weren't gonna be able to enjoy ourselves so we basically just went back home went back to the airbnb so after that um we went to sleep woke up uh next day was sunday and Sunday was the main day that I was excited about. Um, I was ready for my friend's friend to go home because he went back to wherever he lives. And I was excited about that. And we was able to then have the fun that I feel like we could have had on Saturday if his friend wasn't there. But um, I enjoyed myself su- um, Sunday. We went to the um, white bars and we did a little Sunday fun day thing. Uh, we also went to like the little clubs and shit. It was fun. It was the whole vibe. We went to like three different clubs Sunday. It was the whole vibe. Um, I got in at like two in the morning. We didn't stay out there late Sunday. I got in at like about two in the morning, and it was it was cool. It was a cool vibe. Everybody, I mean, like me and him, we vibe anyway. Like we go out every weekend, so we always have a good time. Um, it's always good energy between me and him. Oh, what else can I catch y'all up on? This week has been a week. I lost my wallet. I lost my money. I, I just, it's been a lot going on. Um, but I am going to release a t-shirt, hopefully today. This is Saturday that I'm saying this. So um, if I get off here in time and I still have the energy, I'm going to go take me a photo and post these shirts and start selling my second t-shirt. Uh, shout out to my parents for helping me get this um, t-shirt, um, the inventory for this t-shirt. Uh, so today, I don't know if I want to do a tea sipper letter because the tea sipper letter is very interesting because I do have a special guest. Um, I'm sure if you see the title, um, his name is AJ Young. He is a radio host, a radio personality, uh, an author, um, an ordained minister. Um, but he's a very uh, open book and I feel like you all are going to be able to take a lot from this interview. I don't like my episodes to be too long, but I think I will do a tea sipper. Tea sipper situation is what we said we was going to call it. Oh, and also to carry over from last week's uh, episode, I did tell y'all to let me know like how you manage your time, like with time, like, you know, we were supposed to. Um, see at what times of the day what hours we were most creative or had the most energy to get things done to set our short term goals and I actually did keep a chart for mine and I need y'all to email y'all because I haven't got an email about this yet so I really feel like y'all should have did this but um, so my most productive and energetic hours I broke it down so from 6 in the morning to 11 in the morning um I'm, I'm most productive and energetic from noon to 4 p.m. is kind of when I check out and I'm like, OK, I'm ready to I'm really basing it off when I like a, a weekday for me and weekdays. This is a, this is like my energy level and my productivity. Um, 
from noon to 4 p.m., you know, I kind of check out. I be, like, ready for work and shit to be over with. I'm really not being creative, not thinking about shit. Um, and from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., my mind becomes creative again. Like, I come back to life. I start brainstorming, coming up with ideas, especially on the ride homes from work. Things just start popping up in my head. I start notating things just to get, you know, being creative um but also 7 p.m to 6 a.m my mind is like literally everywhere like i can be thinking about um stuff to be creative with i think about stuff that i need to get done productive productive wise like it's just a lot of stuff go through my head for the remainder of the day and through the night and sometimes i wake up in the middle of the night with ideas which is weird i'm you know it's really weird but those uh, that is my chart of my productivity and energy level let me know your most productive hours pay attention to your energy pay attention to um when you're um the time frames that you feel like you can be creative and get some of these short-term goals knocked out um yeah but email me those i'm i'm interested to see like <laughs> how long you all um have energy and how um creative you all how long you cre- uh, your creative creativity juices are flowing so uh, i'm gonna do this tea sipper situation I feel like I need to It's very similar to um, The MLK weekend So it has to do with the MLK weekend So I really want y'all to listen to this So let's get into the tea sipper situation The letter reads Hey Adam So as you know This past weekend was the MLK weekend And for us black homosexual men That's basically another pride I basically just said that Me and my friends got an Airbnb you know sick in parentheses it says you know someone some shit went down so it was four guys we all are close friends there there are two to a room after a long night of drinking and clubbing me and a friend had a sexual encounter we woke up the next morning we woke up the next day everything normal we didn't discuss discuss the encounter but things were a little off so as we are out on on the following day two guys approach me and ask for my number i give them my number per usual because i'm a hoe (laughs) not you a hoe because i'm a hoe but the friend that i had the sexual encounter with decides to have an attitude do you think he is catching feelings do you think he caught feelings for me by us having that encounter how can i fix this I really don't want me and him to fall out over what we did, but it was a drunken night and I feel like we, it was a drunken night and I feel like we should remain friends and nothing more and nothing less. Thanks. Help me. Oh, you nasty bitch. So, oh, so I I almost knocked the mic off. I almost knocked the mic off the stand about this. So listen. I get it. Um, you know, you have a drunken. I hate when people blame having sexual encounters, um, accident, accidental sexual encounters on fucking drinking. Like, I just don't feel like drinking um, is a excuse to have a sexual encou- uh, encounter. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like when having sex mentally, you are there. If you bust a nut, mentally, you had to get yourself there. So, I feel like you'll come here and you know exactly what the hell going on. Um, so, that's not an excuse for me, but that's neither here nor there. 
how should you handle this situation and do i think your um friend is has caught feelings for you i definitely believe your friend has caught feelings for you because it's just awkward that because I'm, I'm interested to know before when you would get numbers was he getting like was he showing any type of attitude or what has the energy shifted once you got a number from somebody I, it doesn't seem like he it has it seems like it sounds like this is the first time this is happening so it's obvious that he caught feelings for you or he has feelings for you it was just a perfect opportunity for him to experience your body and you allowed him to sis you did <laughs> so if you don't want if you if you if you don't want it to go anywhere else like i tell y'all every week in every situation you just have to state exactly what it is it's all about your delivery um i feel like this should be a conversation where you should bring up this night you should um sit and ask him like do you remember what happened um if he doesn't remember refresh his memory but i'm sure he does because uh, it seems like that a different type of email that's why i don't have sex with a lot of people or that's why i don't have sexual encounters with a lot of people because it's a different type of emotion that's being transferred between the two people and i just don't get how people can just be out here fucking and go the next day and just be okay with it or not even have to talk to the person that they had sex with like when i have sex with somebody there's like a, an emotion being transferred like it's like it's just it's just deeper than that for me i've never been the type like I'm, i guess you can call me quote-unquote clingy but i it does seem like your friend has feelings for you but if you don't want it to be anything else i feel like you should uh address the situation let him know exactly what it is that you want out of y'all and what going forward now i can say that might affect your friendship because they may hurt his feelings or he may have wanted more and look forward to be, being more with you being that you allow him to have that sexual encounter with you so it kind of may not repair your friendship but let's hope for the best let's hope he's very mature and can get past this and you all can remain friends like you were sometimes it's kind of hard and i feel like it will always be an awkward situation for y'all from here on out because of that that's why you should not fuck your friends no fucking friends in 2020 bitch let me learn from this because it's gonna be different i'm telling you everything is gonna y'all can sit down and agree uh to hey we just gonna be friends and it's gonna be nothing more nothing less i'm telling you it's always gonna be some type of um reaction that they have to control whenever they see something that you do that they don't like so just going forward don't suck your friends sis <laughs> that's my advice for you girl um so right now um, we are going to jump into this interview with mr aj young he is an author um radio personality uh, ordained minister he is an all-around good guy i'm sure you'll take a lot from this so here we are and here we go what's up t sipper so today i have a great author someone i met on set a couple of years ago um we had a good conversation very interesting i have followed him since that day um he told me his story um he sent me some excerpts from his books and some things stuck out to me and i was like oh, i want to sit and talk to this motherfucker <laughs> i want to know what he, i want to get inside his brain i want to see his thought process behind this so um i have aj what what do you want to go by aj aj yeah. okay AJ. tell my listeners who aj is um i'm me uh, <laughs> uh simply put i'm i'm career everything to everybody um all different things to everybody i am newly the um, one of the morning uh co-hosts for uh lick 
the Lick Morning Show on uh, Hits ninety two FM Atlanta. Um, oh. I um, comedian, author, actor, cook, babysitter, <laughs> like whatever you need me to be, I, I'm that. Okay, so when I met you, we was on the Quad the season quad. two. Yes, sir. Uh, have you done any more um, extra work? From the quad, I did Greenleaf. I did Greenleaf, the quad, mm-hmm. and then um, some random little audience member stuff. And um, I actually did a commercial for Belk for the Tracy Nicole line. Okay. So you've been putting in the work. So you, yeah, building you, that you'll see me sometime. <laughs> building that resume. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay, so this book is titled um, Life Goes On. Mm-hmm. Um so from reading the excerpts that you sent me, I was like really on edge and I was like curious to know a lot that was going to happen next. But what what I really want to know is what inspired you to write this book? Well, it was never supposed to be a book. It was literally um, me trying to write for therapeutic reasons. I was journaling. So like when people read it, they'll see that a lot of the dates on this date, this happened on this date, that happened. And it was because it was a journal at first and it became mm-hmm. a book. When I began to share bits and pieces with like therapists and people like that, like, hey, man, like you have a story that people need to hear. And that's where the book came from. So it's basically like a therapeutic thing for you. Oh, definitely. Writing is definitely therapeutic for me. So how did that help you by putting your, your thoughts and whatever you was going through on paper? How did that help you get through whatever it was that you was going through? It helped me to stop fighting people because <laughs> if I... I never knew growing up, I never knew any emotion other than anger or mm-hmm. something like yes. that. So I, my writing helped me. Writing and walking. I'll say writing and walking. Writing helped me that. One time I was, when I say walking, I was, I got mad at something and I walked 17 miles to a whole nother city <laughs> to keep from fighting somebody. Like real talk. I walked to my sister's house and she lives 17 miles away from me in a whole nother city in wow. the middle of the night. Swear. Wow. <laughs> wow. So walking is therapeutic for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I know it's when I talked to you on set, I know you did tell me that it was some stuff in this book that your family, if I'm remembering correctly, that your family was kind of like, are you sure you want to put this yeah, out? I mean, everybody was actually um, like because it, it's raw. It's literally what I was thinking at the time. about like, so like, are you sure? Like now it's kind of funny. It's kind of it's like. I guess an oxymoron because they were like, hey, you need to put this out. Then when it came time, like, are you sure you're going to do it? Yeah. But um, to know me is to know that, like, I'm very trained. Like, I talk about anything to anybody. So I'm an open book. It was for them. I think it was more so of protecting their images. Some of the people who mm. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But for everybody who reads the book, I didn't say anything to cast anybody in a bad way or bad light some names I, I withheld but I just had to tell my story and I could not tell my story without telling certain things that happened because that kind of made me the man I am today correct so in a book do you use specific names of the people that you had these incidents or whatever with or did you use like code names I didn't use a code name um I didn't I think a lot of times we try to dress up instances to make it seem like something that they aren't or that they are so i did not use a code name Mm -hmm. if i was referring to anybody i just gave a description i would say him or her or something like that but i didn't use a code name i do i i guess i didn't use a pseudonym just because i i just need 
the person at the time was relevant in any of the stories that I told, but they're not as relevant to me anymore. So it's him or her. Got you. So by you putting, because I know I've done things in my past, in my younger years that I regret. And it's stuff that um, people can go back and look at and judge me for. How how do you, by putting this book out, I know it's not, it's probably because I haven't read it in totality, but I know it's probably moments that you kind of like maybe embarrassed of. Like, how are you going to fight through having all your business on the streets, somebody coming at you sideways about it. How do you remain confident in what you, in like putting your book out? Because I know who I am. Like uh, people going, they talk, they been, they, they were talking then when it was happening. But for me now it's okay. You, you had, you said what you had to say. So now let's hear the real thing that happened. And you, you've told my story. So listen to me, tell my story my way, because you're talking about some secondhand news, but I can give it to you firsthand. And that's, I'm just, Nobody's came at me sideways. Um, I had a family member who, for whatever reason, she was like, oh, I know something that you didn't expose in your book. I was like, well, please enlighten me. How you know my life better than me? Right. And, of course, she couldn't tell. But, you know, you always will have those jealous ones. So, I mean. I, and it's just like the judgment. Like, I, I sometimes say, like, um, like, I got thick skin and stuff don't bother me. <laughs> But some shit do bother me. Like, <laughs> some shit really affects me. Like, I really, stuff really get under my skin. And it's like, if I'm being vulnerable enough to put something out and to tell you, I I just don't know how I would take somebody coming at me saying otherwise or judging me about For it. For me, though, it was me taking the power back. See, people will only talk about what they think you want to hide. Once you put it out there, it's no longer news. It's no longer anything to gossip about. And now they're on to the next it's thing. It's like you got in front of your own story. Yeah, like, yeah. I told you. my own story. And now I'm looking at y'all because you, you think you knew, but you had no idea. So now that you know everything, you're saying, oh, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. But those were the same topics that you were trying to discuss. And you had no idea what you were talking about. Correct. So um, I it was a, a point in... Um, a, a chapter in the book that stuck out to me and it was about you finding out who your father was when you were 18. Yes. So, so can you tell me about that? So I was 18 when I met him as my father, but I knew probably around third grade that he was my daddy. Um, basically, um, he's a really, he's well known in the community, all of this. And he came to my third grade class to speak. So he came to the class to speak. Um, one of his cousins, one of his cousin's daughters, which is still his cousin, was in my in my uh, class, and um, she told me that that was he was my daddy. And I was like, that ain't my daddy, that ain't my daddy. And so another little boy in the class raised his hand. I was like, uh, he said you used to like his mama or something like that. Well, I didn't say it, of course, but like um, he tried to my my dad tried to go into the next question. So then it was like, you know, who the hell is? Oh, I'm sorry, man. But who the hell is this dude? And so, um, but then, um, small town growing up, small town Arkansas. So, and I have some family members who just want to tend to everybody else's business. So mm -hmm. they would make sure they mention his name around me or something like that. Mm -hmm. So at an early age, I knew that it was something about that dude. And then hearing the stories, I'm like, I know that's my daddy. Like I knew it. But when I was uh, 18, I had you know my brother and I, his his son. I'm a year ahead of him in school. So uh, we were saying that, you know, we we're brothers. We were saying, joking around school that we we're brothers because we looked alike. And then he told me, it was like, hey, man, like my daddy said, you his son for real. So I was like, if he 
can tell you, he can tell me. Mm-hmm. And he gave me his daddy's number, and I called him, and um, he he was like, hey, um, yeah, um, you, you got to talk to your mama first, and then, you know, tell me what she's saying, we can go from there. Like, bro, if you want my daddy, you could say no, but since you said that, I already know that you are. And, of, of course, we looked alike, and talk alike like it is so funny that you can have characteristics of a person that you've <laughs> never met and so i always was told oh you look like your grandmother uh because my mom was a little dark darker that i had my grandmama's color from the side that's if we're being honest that i don't even share dna with so it was all like bro like y'all crazy yeah. <laughs> so i went to his house i was it was raining uh, I was driving my, my grandma had since passed away so I was driving her old car which was my car it was like a 98 Cutlass it didn't have no air it didn't have uh, the windows wouldn't work so we just in the sweat box the windows fogged up and everything and it's the day before Father's Day ironically Father's Day weekend 2006 I went to his house and he wasn't there so we went we were leaving but I was like nah bro we gotta find dude we gotta find him and so uh, we went to his brother's house and when I we knocked on his brother's door uh, his sister-in-law, my aunt, uh, my aunt Kim, she opened the door, and my brother told her who we were looking. Well, that we was looking for his daddy, and he was like, uh, "Do you know who this is?" She's like, "No, but he looked like you." And then he was like, um, "That's my brother." She's like, "Alton," like she knew my name, right? And so they were talking, and it was like, "Oh, like everybody knows who you are." Like we were just waiting on the date that we could finally meet you, and that's when his daddy called and was like, "You know, he was he had left out of town or something, but he was on his way back, like meet us at his house." So the whole ride there, my brother is just boosting me up like, I'm going to say this and that's when you say this. I'm going to do this. That's when you do that. As <laughs> soon as we walked in this man's house, my brother went straight back to the room and didn't say nothing <laughs> and left me in there to face his daddy. And it was cool, though, because he was giving, you know, like, I knew this day would come. You were never a secret to my family, blah, blah, blah. And like it, it was just up from there. Like he was calling his kids and his wife um, into the living room where we were and they came and sp- they came to speak but they gave us a lot of time to talk like they would come they came and spoke and then they left and went back like just disappeared in the back mm. of the house whatever they were doing just let me have that moment with them and it was it was cool but as I was still afraid because I the the daddy that I the dude that I thought was my daddy although he and I didn't have a relationship I had I'm close to his family, like super close to his family. Yeah. They, they basically raised me, right. so I didn't want to lose them. And I didn't want, I didn't know how to tell my mama, like, "Hey, I know that this dude, my daddy." So for a while, I just kept it a secret, and I would literally, um, my my aunt Adrian, my um, the dude who I thought was my dad, his sister. She, I was at her house during the summertime, so. Um, I told her what was going on. She was like, hell, hell, I don't care. You still my nephew. I don't care what. Right. So after that, it was like, okay, I ain't got nothing to lose. But I didn't know how to tell my mama. And so my mama didn't find out that I knew anything until the following March. And so this was June 2006. Mama didn't know until March 2007 that I knew what I knew. Wow. And the reason this story is so... Like, it, it tugged at my heart because... I found out when my, who my biological father was when I was 21 years old. I live in a small town. Everybody fucking knew <laughs> until I said something. So everybody was like, oh, we already knew that. Because I looked just like this man. Mm-hmm. I had a sister that was younger than me that, um, that looked just like me. And she even knew. She's like seven years younger than me, but she knew she had a bro- that I was her brother. Yeah. And so it's like, 
it just it just took me back like damn i'm i done built this relationship with my quote-unquote stepfather who has done literally everything for me been in my life since i was two but now i gotta figure out who this man is and accept so were him. you under the impression that your stepdaddy was your father yes okay gotcha. it, i would have never and in the whole town knew but i would have never even thought but just watch when i found out who my real my biological father was I was 21 and I, I was like the adult because he was on drugs. So I mm-hmm. kind of feel like it was a reason why my mama kept that from me. But I would I reached out to him and I was like being like the adult in the situation, which I felt like I needed to be because he was on drugs. So he had his own little mindset. But when I reached out and you know my sexuality, I'm gay. Like I, I, I look at everything as if somebody is embarrassed of me. And so he didn't. Uh, accept me the way that I thought he should at that time so I always I would see him even walking past like my grandmother's house and I would I would see him coming down the street and I would run outside just to sit on the porch to see if he was going to acknowledge me mm-hmm. and he wouldn't and it's like what the fuck like damn like I, I feel like so did, what I want to ask you is did you watch your dad raise other kids and then question why the fuck he's yeah, not but see we can go back the I watched the dude who I thought was my daddy do that to other kids. So <clears throat> the uh, I was raised by a family who uh, still my family. I have my grandma's name tattooed on my arm. Hit mm-hmm. the guy who I thought. Which that's not your grandma, it, but it's yeah, your grandma. It's my grandma. Yeah, and anybody want to tell me the difference? We are gonna have to fight about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. So um, I watched him have me treat me poorly. Like he would walk into my grandmother's house. Literally, he would walk into my grandmother's house and acknowledge every adult by name just to keep them giving saying hi to the general population because that would include me. He would acknowledge oh. the adults by name and ignore the child. And I was that child. I watched him date a woman one time he was at my grandma's house and I was coming down I came down a couple steps on the porch and for some reason her car wasn't in the driveway. My grandma's car wasn't in the driveway, his was, but he had a truck. He was like, Don't put your fingerprints on my truck. But I seen you days later with some other woman's kids on the back of your truck riding down the street that I live on where my mama stay. So I've, I've experienced that rejection part, but not necessarily from my biological father, but from the guy that I thought was my father. And as it relates to my biological father, we only had one little thing where I had to kind of get his attention on. And that was um, we were sitting there talking and he was telling me how like at one point he had all of his children with him. Like everybody lived with him. Like he was, he had been married. He did, he and my mama were never married. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but he had been married. Like, I think he's been married like three or four times, mm-hmm. maybe. Well, yeah, he's been married to three different women, but he married one of them twice. But anyway, he was talking about how all of the kids were with him, blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh yeah, I always wanted my kids with me. And one of my uh, siblings, their mama was going to take them and move, but like they had like a custody battle after their marriage, and he ended up with them for a while. He was like, yeah, because, you know, I was I was fighting for my kids and this, and I'm sitting across the table from them. Like, bro, how you going to say that to me? How you going to tell me that you fighting for your kids, but you didn't fight for me? Yeah, yeah. And so um, he was like, no, it, it didn't happen like that. Like, um, and he he went back. Like, he, he shut me up because he, he had his receipts. He was like, the... Um, your mama said that somebody else was your daddy. Your mama had somebody else on child support. My lawyer told me there was nothing else I can do. He oh. mentioned the lawyer. Like, he literally, like, he was like, I tried. And so, it was one instance where he told me, and if you know my mama, you know that this happened. He told me that his mama was, his mama was passing away. Uh, she was sick, about to die. And he was like, I came to y'all house. 
and I asked your mama, could I take you over there just so my mama can see you before she go? And I probably at that point, I think I was could have been like four or five, maybe. He was like, my mom was like, well, no, she ain't seen him in this long. It ain't gonna hurt. <laughs> I know she said that, and I told him that. I was like, bro, I, that sound like that my sound mama, like cause that sound like something I probably could have said, not right. act like my mama. Right. So I was like, yeah, like she said it. But um, at that, like from then on, we just decided that we weren't gonna look back and we're gonna blame this person for that. That we just gonna move forward and build on what we got, and like we real cool now. That's good. That that's where I am with my biological father now. I talk to him often. Um, he actually try to talk to me every day. But I talk him. I told him I'm like, do not, do not force yourself on me. <laughs> Give me a minute. Like yeah. I, this is this is a process. Like I can't just no. I just can't do that. I cannot. See, my daddy, like for real, and it's not even like my boy will call me. Like literally, I swear, my boy will call me. One day we had about a two hour conversation about nothing. He was talking about red smoke sausages. I kid you not. I was at my sister's house and he called. And my sister joke about it. She was like, um, Daddy love you more than me. Uh, he only called me when you don't answer the phone. So at this time, we happened <laughs> to be together. And he called her. I think my phone probably was charging or something. And I didn't answer. But he called her. But he called her because he knew we were together. And he literally talked for two hours about smoke sausages. And so I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. And so when I passed her back the phone, because I was just trying to get off. She's like, okay, Dad, I'm going to call you back. She didn't even have to talk to him because I didn't have a whole two-hour right, conversation. Right. But like he and I are really close. Uh, my siblings that I have through him, like extremely close. We just, um, the baby, my baby brother, Joshua, he graduated uh, Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day is in May, right? Yeah, Memorial yeah. Day weekend. So we literally had like a whole siblings weekend where like we just chilled like we spent the night together we went out like we did everything that and it was actually kind of like the first time that all of us or most wow. of us because it was like eight of the nine that was there so like we we chilled, we had a good time that's dope it that's was like dope. a mini family reunion we had shirts and everything y'all went all out that's what's up um so moving on to another part i want to I, I just want to point out two parts of this book because um, I don't really want to give away a whole lot, but it was another point that I had talked to you about. Um, you had something happen medically. Yeah. What? What? I, can you talk about and elaborate on it? Yeah. So basically, I had a stroke at the age of twenty-seven. I had a stroke, and I was diagnosed with epilepsy because I had during that time I started having seizures as well, or had seizures. Um, although. The seizures, if we're being honest, had started before then. They were brought on by stress. I just didn't know it at the time mm -hmm. because there were times where um, I'll be waking up shaking or feel myself shaking and stuff in my sleep. And then when I wake up, um, the person that I was dating at the time was like, hey, was something right? And he would reply like, yeah, like it looked like you were having a seizure or something. So that all was stemming from a relationship that was toxic as hell. Like, if you just, like, basically, I entered the, uh, and it's all in the book, I entered a relationship with somebody who was, like, one of my closest friends. Um, or maybe we became, all of it started around about the same time, I guess, but, like, literally, was, um, and I found, I went one, one Wednesday or Thursday night, I looked in the phone and saw some incriminating stuff, mm -hmm. and I was gonna kill everybody that was involved. I'm laughing now, but I literally had planned to kill them because it was, people that i was close to and if i let you in a certain point 
then I don't expect you. Honestly, I don't expect you to leave, but I definitely don't expect you to hurt me in the ways that if I'm confiding you and then this who you're sleeping with and stuff like, like yeah, y'all got to die. So, uh, <laughs> so I went to. Um, Honestly, I watch a lot of court TV, and I'm I'm thankful I'm past it because I'm telling all my love what I was gonna do. <laughs> I, I watch a lot of court TV. I watch at that time. I watch like um, I almost got away with it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> basically, I went to my sister's house. I went to my sister's house, and I was gonna spend the night or half the night. I was gonna go let her see me go to sleep. I was gonna wake up in the middle of the night. I was gonna go and kill them, and then I was gonna come back and go to sleep again. So she was like, "Oh no, he's he spent the night here." Yeah. And but what happened was, um, I went to sleep, and I woke up days later in the hospital because I had had a stroke. But I'm telling you how I know that God saved my life and saved their lives as well, mm-hmm. because when they found me, I was at the place where I was had been because I wouldn't. At, I didn't. I, I, I another sister and I were living together, and I was at that apartment. Um, I had certain things in that apartment, so I knew what like. It, now thinking back well, what I was there for so um, and they found me beside my truck in the rain um, they don't know how long I was there um, there were varying stories by the time I made it to the hospital I was completely unresponsive but at the time that they found me my sister they and her she and her mama they said that I was like almost like enraged like they had to handcuff me and stuff to keep me down but I really couldn't speak but like it was almost like I was scared like I was fighting to say something to do something get just to be free and it was all bad and i literally had i had a stroke at the age of 27 and that kind of honestly that broke a lot of stuff and it started me on a path of healing though for real so how did you how being in that dark place what like how did you get out of that bro honestly i didn't even want to get out uh, if we've been like i wanted to die like there were days seriously that i like bro i hate this because i had to go back to my hometown with my mama, like literally, she she kidnapped me. Like we joke about it, but she kidnapped me. She took me from them. When they released me from the hospital, you know, they wheel you out. They put me in the back of her her car. Her she got like a Cadillac SUV. They put me in the back of her truck, and I kind of dozed off. When I woke up three hours later, she was pulling me in her yard. They took my keys. Um, the keys in the truck were in two different places. I didn't even know where they. I knew where they parked the truck, but I didn't even know where the keys were. So um, I couldn't I couldn't do anything. I just had to sit there. Um, and every day I would, I would cry every day. I got, I wouldn't eat. Like they were force feeding me. Like it was all bad. I just didn't want to be here anymore. So you was crying over what you had just went through with who you were with. I was crying about everything because at that, that was October, 2015. At that moment, um, it was just so much going on in life. Um, I didn't, I didn't like where I was, um, as it related to my career, some things that I had really been banking on didn't come through as I thought that they would. I was mourning the death of, death of a friend. When I say the death of a friend, death of a friendship, I should say, um, with that person. Of, co- of course, you're mourning the loss of a relationship. And then everything that the situation encompassed, it just turned really messy. And so people that you thought that would be with you forever felt that they had to choose a side even if some of them it was momentarily it's still in that moment it felt like i had nothing to live for expect you know how you can overextend sometimes and you can basically make things and people your world and your idols and it mm. felt like i didn't have anything anymore so it was all the culmination of all of that and i just didn't want to be here but one day i um my mama was um Joel Osteen was on TV mm-hmm. 
And um, I'm in a town where I felt that there was nothing there. But Joel Osteen said, be productive where you are. Mm. And that stuck out. Like, bro. Like, And I had to write like, Joel, you talking to me? Like, <laughs> and so ever since, ever since then, like, I've been on, like, this journey to, like, being productive where I am, no matter where that is, no matter what state. It, you can always do something. Even if you don't have, I, I write music. You may not have a, a producer who wants to, uh, pick, like, uh, put music to your song yet, but you, you write. You you be productive. You do what you can do, and then everything else is going to come. So that's that's what really kept me going, uh, started me back to going. That just helped me out because it's a lot of stuff that I, I start and embark on and it don't move the way I want it to move. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, OK, f- yep. forget it. Like, it's I'm- easy when you really you, when you can see the end of it. It's easy when it's not happening right now to just give up on it. But don't don't give up because even with this book, like this book, everybody's thinking like, oh, you went through a breakup um, that that thing that happened in 2015. You went through that. So uh, now you you had to write a book. No, the book was being written way before then. Y'all just didn't see that part. So just just don't ever don't ever stop. Mm. Well, I guess y'all see this book is good. He has a lot in this book that is very interesting and obviously empowering. Um, I just learned a lot from AJ. Just his thought process, um, being productive, uh, pressing on. Um, AJ, I also want to in closing, I want to ask you about this decade that we're about to get out of. How um, how would you describe your 10s decade? Well, say honestly, from 2010 to now, I, I would say that that's when the man in me was really born. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, I, oh, no, I got to count on my fingers. 2016, I was 18. 20, I mean, no, no. 20, 2006, I was 18. 2007, 19. 2008, 20. 2009, 21. So, from 22 into 30, 31. Or ish 21 to 31 22 somewhere along mm-hmm. these last 10 years bro i remember my 21st birthday i remember i got my first apartment when i was 21 um from that moment to this one can i cuss real quick that's <laughs> all i do on i know but i you know i really don't cuss a lot but don't i, I had to i had to stop giving a fuck about what folks thought of me like and that really just started happening if not even the past 10 years, but probably about the past year and a half to two years, because people will try to put you in a box and want you to be what they want to be, what they want you to be a puppet. And when you ever you don't allow them to pull your strings and you then they try to you know they'll um, they'll push you to the side or something like that. But here recently, like if I can end this decade with anything, it's me being the man that I know that I'm created to be and throwing my middle fingers at everybody who do not. Agree. That's it. <laughs> that is it. And I, I wanted to end on "Oh God bless you" type of thing, yes. but <laughs> it's real. But no, real. I just got to be me, like for real. That's 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 just how, and that's where I am right now. Like people don't understand the hell that you go through trying to live up to somebody else's standards. But I've decided to take life by the horns and ride the hell out of it, and just be who who I am. Who you are, exactly. So what what's your what are your plans for twenty twenty? Honestly, it's funny. I was talking to my homeboy earlier. I was like, man, I really have to get my 2020 down because honestly, for 2019 and 2018, I wrote down specific goals mm. and I hit every one of my goals for 2019. Oh, shit. So I'm like, bro, like I got to do the same thing for 2020. So 2020, I'm going to just speak it right now. Then I'm have to go back and write it down. I have music to release. Um, I did release a single this year, but I definitely and I'm cussing in this gospel song. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, I really do think that people like. They like the real. And 
the the music that's coming out now is actually gonna even the song the gospel song that was released is basically a soundtrack to my book my book has not i mean my life hasn't always been gospel it hasn't always been jesus jesus there was it's some trap it's some love it's some blues it's all of that and that's what i'm releasing in 2020 like you get you'll get my life story in music let me let me ask you one question about that i have a lot of friends who are um they're really in a church they on the praise team um stuff like that but they just feel like because i'm transparent and i'm a realist and i just like i'm the one on facebook that's saying whatever and my grandma is my friend on it. So, so let me tell you that real quick i'm an ordained minister <laughs> like for real for real oh. all of this stuff that I, <laughs> all of this stuff that I'm, i've gone through I'm gonna close this <laughs> no seriously all of the stuff that i've gone through um if let me just be real transparent how it related to the church Everything that I went through, there was at least one church official who knew what was going on. I believe I I actually just rejoined my church here because I I just rejoined my church here. I'll just leave it to that. Um, back then, I dang, I'm gonna just say it. I think some sometimes churches um, they take on a role of almost like the government used to, especially as it relates to sexuality, is don't ask, don't tell, because nigga, you already know. Mm -hmm. And so I had somebody to pull me into a meeting one time, and it was when I was dating the guy, and it was like, well, y'all know y'all going to have to do something, because, uh, you know, people people kind of know this, that, and other. And I was like, bro, that ain't me. Like, I'm not doing nothing that I don't feel. You know, can't nobody, even as a little kid, you couldn't make me do it. That's why they thought I was bad, because I really wasn't bad. I just, if I didn't want to do it, I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And so... um they um they he was like um well y'all gonna have to get y'all a girlfriend y'all gonna have to do this um even the person i'm with now the person i'm married to that's not the love of my life the love of my life is in another state but you got to do what you got to do oh wow and i was like no not not me like you must not know who you're talking to and so i just feel that the church forces a lot of things on people instead of just loving them like jesus did I think that if the church would focus more on love than sex and all this other stuff or sexuality, then it'd be a better place. There are some people who I know for sure are literally dying who are up serving Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I, when I say dying, it's only because they can't even, they, they, they don't know who to talk to or they can't, the people who are in leadership, they feel that they can't trust because of what their issue is. And Jesus never did that. Jesus didn't even, he didn't even. He didn't even hang with other Christians. He was discipling people who to after he left to teach um, to teach his word and his teachings. But he was he was hanging with the, the sinners, the tax collectors and and the people that nobody else wanted to hang with. And I think that that's what we got to do now as Christians, as people who are trying to propagate, propagate his um, his message that stop. What I'm going to do, what I look like every every time you see me, I'm with four pastors and all we can say is God is good. See, how, how are we spreading his word to other people if if I'm only want somebody who looks like me or who smells like me? Uh, we always talk, our church says, bring us the broken. That's what we say, bring us the broken, bring us the broken. Well, my question, not to my church, but to the body of Christ together, what do we do when we get the broken? Because most times when we get people who aren't on a level that we are we we shun them because we don't want to feel yeah. you, you, you and then it, that's been my thing with church i i go to um vision cathedral a lot of people know about vision cathedral in atlanta because it is they have a gay pastor but that's the only okay okay i didn't know what church it was but i know what you're talking about you know yeah what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. that's the only church i ever felt comfortable in because in, the, in my hometown church 
Every time I come to this church, you're not going to speak on homosexuality because I'm living my life the way I want to. Because I'm going to get up and leave. So <laughs> I'm not laughing, but it's how you just look when you said that. I am. And I, I be like... <laughs> and I make it known like I have an attitude. That's not why I came down here. See, I'm telling you, like, listen, this... We always try to force people to come and we always try to get, have a gimmick or some type of some. The Bible says if you lift Jesus, he's basically he said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men to unto me. All you got to do is lift him up. All you got to do is bless him, praise his name and all this other stuff. He'll do the drawing. Talk about his goodness. Talk about the, the miracles that he he's performed. People going to come for that. You ain't got to. If I'm sitting here, if you looking at me and all I'm telling you is you going to hell, going to hell, going to hell, I'm not, I'm not saving you. So I'm, you just gonna come to my church and you're gonna go with the motions just because you're scared to go to hell. But what about the love? He said, "By love and kindness have I drawn thee." What about how? Can, how are we? What are we doing about that? Nobody wants to love, but everybody want to banish you to hell, and I, I, I can't get with that. It's just like they tell us to come, come as you are, and they want us in these spaces. But when you like get there, you they said, meet you. It's like what the hell? I, I can't. nobody will, bro. Listen, um, we talk about a hospital being a place, the church being a hospital for the sick. But I've never been to any hospital, Emory, um, Grady, anybody that comes and make you feel bad that you got the flu. Like, right? Like, I just don't get it, and I feel that that's what the church has become. Some churches Some. have become, but I feel like as a collective, the body of Christ has done that, and I do see why people. Um, go away or are hurt because they so people try to say the church hurt ain't real. Church hurt is real. They was like, oh y'all don't say job hurt. I was like, bro, but the, my my place of employment has never been a place that was supposed to heal me or no, exactly or anything it's like never, that. So, it's never been yeah. represented in that way. Yeah. I supposed to be coming to church to feel everything good, like yeah. to help you lift me up and guide me where I need to Just go. Just think about the one. I didn't started to preach. <laughs> Just That's think fine. about the, the woman fine. at the well. She was caught in the act of fornication with somebody other than her husband. You know, they. You know, if you sleep with somebody, or whatever, then you carry a part of them. Basically, you're married or whatever. But she got. They brought her to Jesus, and he said, "Who he without sin cast the first stone." Everybody had sin, so could nobody stone her. And then he told her, you know, just go and sin no more. That's all he said. He did, he he had the power to throw the first rock, but he didn't. And a lot of us have stones in our hand, but we have no authority to cast them. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you breaking stuff down to me like you really, you should preach, like for real. No, I get tired of it. Like, honestly, let me just you be explain, honest. You, you breaking <laughs> stuff down to me to where I can understand. When I go to church and you use these big words and you say this stuff. I hate when they I use the big words. Like, nigga, you... Even if you just say you go to college and you take a, a public, I mean a public speaking classes, they tell you that when you speak uh, publicly, you're supposed to speak on a seventh grade level so that everybody can understand. I hate when people get up and just try to show us that they have an extensive extensive vocabulary. Bro, take that somewhere else. Tell me what just what the Bible said. You don't got to use all these other words because like I'm not gonna know what you're talking Break about. Break it down for me because at that point I'm on Facebook at church then. When I or I'm on Google that, trying to <laughs> figure, I'm trying to figure out what you done said and now I'm lost. I don't know what he's talking about. So <laughs> the way you just broke that down like that is no, but for the real simplicity. I, because of I believe that my ministry my ministry ain't uh, um in a pulpit. Um oh I I. I like evangelism. I like going out. I like talking to people. I like, if I can't, I like bring, going into your space 
and showing you that I'm comfortable with whatever you got going on. Mm-hmm. Or you coming into my space and I'm allowing you to feel the love that I can show you. Mm-hmm. I'm not all about, you know, the suits and the preaching and all that. And which really makes me, I've always been kind of like an outcast because my, my methods are so unorthodox. But like I do, I am 100% sure of what I'm supposed to do. And i kind of been doing it. And then I get mad and then don't want to do it no more because I get like you run into the traditionalists. You run into the See, people who it's that traditional. Like I I look at I, I now, you know, all the churches are streaming on Facebook and stuff, their mm-hmm. service. And I look I always because me being a costumer, I work in fashion. I always go to what do they have on? What do people in congregation have on? When I see a pastor that's dressed comfortably, trendy, like. Not in a suit, not your mm-hmm. traditional. I already know what what kind of vibe I'm about to get mm-hmm. because it's it's it, as stupid as it sounds. That's just how you look at it. Like when you be in this big this this suit and you this way, it's traditional. You gonna I know how you gonna preach. I yep. know how I'm gonna re- receive this message. But like when people are comfortable in what they doing, yep. you can tell. Yep. it shows in their appearance. And I think a lot of the older people, and I could be wrong, but a lot of them are stuck in their ways and honestly their ways have proven not to work so bro you wondering why you don't have a youth department or your youth and young adults are 70 years old and you're 90 like it's because y'all y'all not reaching them it's done mm-hmm. like my i i, I don't want to say this but i um my family member has a church and my sister was like yeah our youth sunday is uh third sunday and <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing already though. My, I'm sorry. my sister was like, "Well, when is yours?" She was like, oh, "We don't have one. They all got, they grown." Okay, so where's the next generation? You got to be building somebody up. Where's the and next generation? Like, and honestly, even because I think the biggest thing right now in church, honestly, is sexuality. If we're just gonna be real, but what pisses me off about sexuality is. If you sleeping with anybody other than your spouse, it's considered fornication. Fornication falls under of the seven cardinal sins as lust. So don't tell me, oh, everybody on your road, if they sleeping with the same person going to hell, but everybody on your on your staff got babies out of wedlock mm-hmm. and you ain't said nothing to them. Yeah. But it's still fornication. It's still lust. That's what I have a problem with. It, I, it's just it's literal it's a it's literally no sin is bigger than the other that's all i'm saying i know and i know bloody I'm, we'll never talk tell the mothers to, the, with the thick ankles to put their plate down for real no this is true <laughs> but it's just like i know you have to tell me right from wrong when i come to church but it's just the, it's not what you say it's how you how say, you say it. it you can deliver it in a way that's like accepting and letting me know there's a way to t- case in point from when I met you, I was smaller. I didn't gain a lot of weight. So um, I had a friend who was like, hey, like we're going to start working. We're going to do this. And so, you know, first I'm like, nigga, I know what you're saying, but we ain't about to do nothing. But but it was like in the like, OK, like I'm, I want to make sure your health is good. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to do this. So he would have just came and said, nigga, you fat. And we probably would have got to fighting or something like that. It's all in your present in your presentation. You got to deliver a message. My daddy always taught me that because that was my problem growing up. I can see you trying to go I would off. I say whatever, how I wanted to. My be like, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So. This was good, AJ. Yeah, I appreciate you. you. Thank you. I, I mean, it's been a long time coming. You've been, we've been supposed to been doing this for a little minute. A little minute, and I appreciate you. I'm glad it finally happened. Um, y'all, how can they purchase the book? They can purchase the book on Amazon, or they can go to my website www.theajyoung.com. It's t h e e a j young.com. And what's the name of the book? The name of the book is Life Goes On. Basically, it's letting you know that no matter what happens. 
life really does go on with or without you um if you're suicidal you kill yourself because of a situation like everybody that their life is going to go on so you might as well go on and live okay. so yours can get better like for real i know that wasn't it didn't come out the way i wanted it, but like for, seriously because you'll see in the in the book that i was very suicidal i had um i've attempted more times than i probably should and i'm still here and i know that i'm here for a purpose and yeah, I'm just gonna gonna live. I that, I choose to live. That's a powerful title. Life goes on. So guys, check that book out. Um, as you see, he's a very interesting individual. <laughs> I don't know if I like that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he has a lot of knowledge. He did really good. And yeah, I'm gonna have to have you back though. Definitely. Just let me know when. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. He is such a great guy. Uh, follow him on his social media. Uh, I'm sure he already announced that. So <laughs> um, now I'm going to close out this episode because I don't want my episodes to go really, really long. And this one is actually like 50 something minutes. So I'm not going to do a currency this week. Um, I hope to come back and give you all some content next week. But if I don't, I will see you the following. I have told myself I'm going to commit to two episodes a month. So that's I'm going to put out. I'm putting out this week So if I skip next week And come back the next week Don't hold me to Don't 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 Cuss me out in emails Cause I have been seeing A few of you motherfuckers Emails Cussing me out Fuck y'all <laughs> But no I love y'all Two sippers Like I always say Follow us On Instagram At Black Seat Pod Follow your host At on, um, At It's Adam Chris um, Email me Feedback Comments Anything uh, Questions At Black.T.Pod At Gmail.com like, rate, subscribe, share, all that. I will see you bitches next week. Kissing. Niggas swear they passed us, they doing too much. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up.